are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Whether you're a fan or not, I think most of us have all heard of Korean dramas. Yes? Yeah. They are everywhere. In fact, my non-Korean friends appear to know more about it than I do. They ask me about these celebrity names. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying, what you're talking about. Is, is that even a real person? I don't know. The thing about these drama series is that, is that they're endless. They're endless, and to watch them will require countless hours of your life where you'll have the choice of immersing yourself into these shows at the risk of losing everything else in life, or you can just forego the show and get on with your life. You have a choice, people. I want you to know that. Okay? And there is a hotline for help, too, by the way. Now, I tend to choose the latter. Now, I'll admit, I have seen a couple, and they are fun to watch. They are. But most, I think, are kind of cringeworthy. I think so, because most, I find most of the acting, and I hope I'm, I hope I'm offending people, I find most of the acting to be just so super awkward, right? Anyways, whatever. It's, it's your choice. But I found a great way to watch them if you don't have the time to invest five years into finishing a series. And here it is. This is my personal tip to you all. Watch the last one. Watch the last one. You don't even have to watch the uh, pilot or, this, or, or the first episode. Just watch the season finale because what they do is at the beginning of every show, they bring you up to date on what already happened. So if you just watch one, watch the last one, and boom, you've got the whole show down. All right, so to all you husbands, you're welcome. Now I say all this because I kind of feel like our series on James has taken on a mini-series here in the, uh, in the fifth chapter. So here's a little recap to summarize the previous episodes for you. First, James, he began with the great principle of the whole text, and he said, pray no matter what. Pray no matter what. Secondly, he says, praying out means crying out in times of trouble, but having a prayer lifestyle also means filling our good days with what? Praise. Yes, with praise. Then thirdly, in verse 14, it got really specific about what we're to do when we're feeling weak, when we're struggling, when we're weary, and that is we need more of God. That's what James is saying. You need more of God. You don't need any more advice from people. No more vacations. Not more stepping away from responsibilities. Not more Korean dramas or Netflix binging or staycations or whatever new trendy thing to do is now. When you're weak and when you're weary, when you're confused and you're suffering, whether you're in physical or emotional or spiritual pain, when you are needing direction, when you need help, James says, go to God. Go to God first because he alone is our source of help. Amen? Go to him in prayer. Go to him in his word. But lastly, God has also given us a tangible means to help us when we're weary, when we're weak, and when we're struggling, and that is the church. To come to the church. We need the church. We need care and prayer from one another. And so that's the recap. And although we have two more sermons on this series that's just the gist of where we've been so far. But today, if it's all right, I'd like to wade in a little bit deeper. 
Now, I want to reread our text, but I want to start back up from verse 13, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can just follow along with me, but I'm going to read from 13 to 16. Is, any, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, you know what's interesting about growing up? Every year that passes by, we think we've grown wiser, haven't we? But not, necess not necessarily in a kind of humbling sort of way, but more as in, hey, I, got, I figured things and how things work out, prideful sort of way. So we typically grow up and mature, right? But here's the thing. When we mature, we put away those silly childish ideas away, whatever we were taught when we were young by our parents or by our teachers or by older siblings. But what happens sometimes is that the things that we've kind of thought were irrelevant to us now, the things that we thought doesn't apply to us now as older adults, things that we've discarded were actually things we still need today. We still need today. Take, for instance, my relationship with my dad. The one thing I remember ever since as, as, young as, as, as young as I was, the one thing he would always tell me and stress to me was prayer. He would always say, pray, literally for every single thing. I remember even at 7-Eleven, my dad says, you know, get candy or something like that. So I look at the aisle, and I, I wanted gum. I love gum, right? So I saw Bubblicious. Should I get the regular bubblegum flavor, or should I get the raspberry flavor? And my dad had his coffee, and he was like, are you ready? I go, I can't choose. And he goes, it's okay, pray. I'm like, uh, pray? He's like, pray. I was like, Lord, which one do you want me to get? And my hand just went to the, I'm like, oh, the Lord has spoken, okay. <laughs> we said pray every single time. My man, my, my man, my man, he is my man also, <laughs> by the way. Pastor Lim truly is a man of prayer, and I appreciate that. And so as I grew up, I, I definitely knew the importance of prayer, and I definitely had a prayerful life. But the thing is, as I really began my spiritual journey, and as, really, as I really started maturing in my emotion, my, uh, who I was as a person, and as I began getting intellectually equipped, you know, through my Bible college, from the seminary, from national renowned, recognized professors who have written thousands of pages of commentaries, I began to think that I just need to know God's word more. That's what I thought. I want to know the ins and the outs of Scripture and be able to just spew out text and have philosophical and, and interesting debates and conversations with those who oppose my biblical worldview. And so I began doing that. I began learning more. But I'll be honest with you guys. As I intellectually learned more, I realized I prayed less. That was my problem. I prayed less because I thought, for some reason, understanding Scripture was better than intimately knowing God, for some reason. And it just goes to show how poorly I've been actually studying the Word of God, because God's Word is always exhorting the believer to pray more. It's not either or, it's both and. Here's the thing, we need Scripture and prayer. Okay? And so in my journey, thinking that I got wiser than my parents, 
Prayer, mom, dad, really, come on here. Let me go ahead and exegete this passage for you so that you truly understand the Greek context of it. No, no, no. See, I came to a humbling conclusion that they were right all along. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's pray more. And that's what's happening in our culture today, too. As we get more sophisticated, we have these old traditions and these perhaps superstitious ideas fall away and are replaced with more scientifically correct understanding. But every once in a while, we'll discover that the thing that we've discarded as anti-intellectual or things that we've discarded as irrelevant was actually essential for life and understanding life. And so as difficult as it might be, let's stop for a moment, try Stop trying to figure out the new and improved way of understanding Christianity. There's a lot of churches these days that are, that are just emerging out and they're saying, hey, this is the cool, hip way to know Christ. This is the cool, hip, new way to know God and understand Scripture. No, let's stop doing that. Let's stop trying to redefine what Christianity is. Let's stop trying to redefine what our faith means. Instead, let's go back to our old biblical, or as opposers of Christianity would say, ancient ways. Like, I think it's true that Scripture needs to be read under the right light, under the right context, culturally, historically, and so on. But I also believe that the Word of God is as true and powerful today as it was during the ancient days of our early fathers. And the ancient words are all telling us to do one thing here, pray. Pray more. Amen? And so I say all that because our text today suggests a relationship which I think a lot of people today, in fact, I think whole of societies have have th- think that they have outgrown, therefore discarded as irrelevant. They think that what I'm about to say next is superstitious. It's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Why would you associate the two? And this is the point that James is saying from this text. He's saying sickness is rooted in sin. And people will say, are you kidding me? How archaic are you? How primitive are you? Right, do you still believe in witches? The sickness is rooted in sin? This ultimately means that the weaknesses of our bodies and our minds are related to our rebellion against Creator God. So if our passage is right, and it is, and if our God's words are always right, which it is, we cannot reject and we cannot neglect the relationship between sin and sickness because to do so is to throw out the solution to our problem. So let me preface this by saying first what I'm not talking about. I'm not saying that everyone who is sick and everyone who is suffering is suffering the consequence of some sin which they've committed. I'm not saying that. Remember the passage in John chapter 9, verse 2, where the disciple, seeing a blind man, says to Jesus, Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus quickly responds by saying, This man's blindness has nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, he knows the principle that I just laid out here. In fact, these are his thoughts. Sickness is rooted in sin. And so Jesus, he's not denying or being contradictory of this principle. He was addressing, rather, the disciples' inability to correctly apply this principle to that person's life. And we got that same problem, too. Let me explain. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we can't look into the hearts of people, can we? We can't. Therefore, we can't really judge people. 
We don't have the ability to discern that a particular trouble in someone's life is a result of a particular sin, even though it may be tempting to try. But here's the thing. The general principle is still true according to this text, and that is this. Sickness is rooted in sin. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, let me explain. We know that Adam responded to sin, didn't he? And he disobeyed God. This resulted in God bringing a curse upon the earth, including Adam. You see, where Adam once lived in perfect health, and he rested in perfect rest, and he had stress-free life, and he had a wonderful right relationship with God, now because of sin, Adam not only lost his right standing with God, but he also lost his perfect health, and he ultimately lost his physical and spiritual life. In other words, Adam died. From dust you came, and to dust you will return. And that's the curse that you and I and everyone here in this world that we're living with right now. You and I have never seen the world that God first created. And all we've ever seen here is the fractured and the cursed and the distorted and the abnormal world that is under sin. Yes, after, oftentimes we'll see the brilliance of a sunset and catch a glimpse of the original creation, but still not the same because our world is dominated by death and everything else, else death touches. Now, I hope you're following along with me right now. This is what I'm trying to say. There is a general truth here that God is pointing out that sickness is rooted in sin. But we must be wise in understanding what that sin is, and we must be careful when applying this to other people, because like Jesus said about the blind man and his or his parents having nothing to do with it, we too must be careful when we decide to cast judgment upon people. you got to be careful. I've heard so many people say, Oh, you're, you're feeling that way? It's probably because of something you did. Bad boy. Okay, I'm not done explaining this point. So I'm not saying we can make a clear line from a particular effect from a particular sin. What James here is saying is that there is a general relationship, a connection between sin and sickness. So we are not able to discern when this is the case, but we, knew, we do know for a fact that it is sometimes the case, and sometimes particular sicknesses are the result of particular sins. Let me give you a couple examples. When David sinned, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and to make it worse, to cover up his tracks, he went and got her husband, Uriah, murdered in battle. And David's particular sin led to a specific time of sickness for him. He became weak, and then he became depressed, and he became physically ill. And you can read that from Psalm chapter 38, verses 3 to 8. You see, his sickness, which was weakness, which led to depression and despair, was rooted in his sin. Not only that, another example is when Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29-30, he writes, For anyone who eats and drinks, we're talking about the communion, the Lord's Supper, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself, verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. He's saying this, that the weakness and the sickness and the death that some of the members of your Corinthian church was rooted in their specific sin and how they approached the Lord's Supper. And what was that specific sin? He's saying this. 
while you guys are going ahead and celebrating the Lord's communion and saying, yes, this is, the bread, this is the body of Christ and this is the blood of Christ and I share in the body of Christ and we are worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, while you're doing that, you are simultaneously, at the same time, pridefully and hypocritically neglecting your own body, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes, how dare you? Go before God and praise the body of Christ when you are neglecting the body of Christ. Sin. And as a result, what happened? Sickness came upon them. Death came upon them. Sickness is rooted in sin. And it's always true in the general sense of the fall of creation, which results in the curse of death. Everyone here will die. We all know that. But it is sometimes true in a very specific case of a particular person's sin and sickness. And so this is what God is saying to us right now. He's not telling us to start up a Salem witch hunt and start accusing every sick person of sin. But what God is telling you, the individual, you, the child of God, he's saying this. If you are sick, if you are weak, if you are weary, if you are struggling in any way in your life, if you are in trouble, God, he is trying to get your attention and you must pick up on that. And you must ask God, Lord, search me and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. See if there's any wicked thing in me that has brought about this circumstance, this illness, this sickness, this suffering. You must ask God in the midst of your sickness and suffering and your trials and tribulation. You must go to God and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? You know God loves you more than you know? Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say that. God loves you. And in his great and oftentimes inexplicable love, he will allow sickness and or pain to enter your life, not just for a general purpose, but for a very specific reason. He is concerned about a sin in your life that is slowly killing you, a sin that has taken root in your life and has become so entrenched in your being that it no longer becomes a sin that you struggle with, but a sin that you've allowed to become a part of your life. That's scary. Now, I've experienced the truth of this text in my personal life. There was a sin in my life that had been growing and growing. This was many years ago, but it was a sin that I honestly thought was good. As in, I didn't think it was a sin. I mean, that's how blinded I was. One day, I actually tweaked my back from playing flag football. Yeah. That was a long time ago when I was active. Whatever. Well, the thing is, the pain didn't appear that day, but it happened a few days later. The thing about this lower back pain of mine was that it worsened, but I just brushed it off, thinking that it was simply the result of a misplay on my part during a football game, just a typical physical injury. I grew up in sports, so it's just the name of the game. I understood that. I go, no biggie. It hurts, but that's just, that's just what happens. And here's the thing, I didn't even think to pray to God or seek God about it. And it actually got worse and worse. And so I actually sought chiropractic help. And I had this pain, this debilitating pain for one and a half years. One and a half years. I had visited over five different chiropractors. 
I had over probably over a couple dozen physical therapy uh, sessions. I've had electro things stuck to my back two hours a day, three times a week for I don't know how long. I've been to every acupuncturist within the within the DMV area that was that had a good reputation for almost every week for almost seven months. I did everything I could. I took my Advil. I did my stretches. I put my cold packs. I did whatever I could to alleviate my pain, but to no avail. My back was in so much pain, it really kept me from being active because every time I would even sit down, every time I would even lay down, every time I would get up or even move, I would wince in pain. Everyone around me would always smell icy hot or Bengay. It was not a good time. They're like, is an old man here? Now here's the thing, towards the end of it, I remember praying for healing. And I had friends pray for me. I mean, it, was, it got really bad. I had my parents pray for me. I even asked my professors to pray for me. But it was the Holy Spirit who counseled me one early prayer morning uh, day as I uncomfortably sat down on that rigid pew of ours over there. The pain, as usual, was excruciating. And so my thoughts could and only would focus on that. And, and that day, I remember... I prayed for healing, and I prayed in faith. But then the Holy Spirit just shook me up for one moment there, and he prompted a thought in my mind and in my heart that for nearly one and a half years, I had been asking for the wrong thing. You see, all this time, I've been asking God what I wanted when I really should have been asking God what he wanted. And it was one of the most intense spiritual encounters I've had with God. And so as I sat there, I looked up to God because now I know what the question was. So I looked up to God, and it's dark, and there's people around me praying. And I looked up to the heavens so while I was trying, trying to balance myself on that pew sitting down. I looked at him and I said, Lord, you know my pain. You know you've, and I know you've heard my prayers. And you know that I want healing so desperately right now, Lord, but what I want more is for your will to be done. Father, what are you trying to tell me through my pain? And immediately the Lord spoke into my heart of the sin that had held me captive for so long. I had no idea. It felt like a truck just hit me from my blind side, and I was shocked that that was the sin. And so I repented and I said, yes, Lord. If that is the sin, I see it now as how it is. It is sin. And yes, Lord, I repent and I want to give it to you. And so I gave it up to him. Look, I'm not into theatrics here, so I'm not making up a single thing right now. But the moment my, the last word of my repentant prayer left my tongue, I have felt the most intense heat surge through my lower back where I felt like it was just on fire. It was so intense, in fact, in the middle of the prayer service time, as it was dark and people around me were doing their own personal prayer, I was about to scream in pain when all of a sudden the fiery pain that suddenly appeared just as quickly, miraculously left me. And so surrounded by people 
praying around me, I literally started jumping up and down. I bent left and back, forward and backwards. I started doing the twist dance. No pain. And immediately after, I just crumbled down to the floor. And I began wailing like a baby. Tears gushing out. I was so broken. I was so humbled. So grateful. But beyond the gratefulness of the healing, the reason why I cried like, that, 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 like I did that day was because I experienced the love of God in one of the most profound ways. That my sins were so bad and God loved his child so much that he would do anything to get my attention just to bring me back to him. And that leads us, leads us to our second and final point. You see, if sickness is rooted in sin, then we must pull the sin out by its roots. We must address our sin. That's what verse 16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You see, in the context of, the, of this, of the elders and of the church praying for those who are weary and sick, in the very next sentence we're told to confess our sins, to find forgiveness, and to pray so that we might be restored. You see, when we have sickness... Whatever it might be that you're dealing with, we tend to treat the symptoms while ignoring the disease. Well, here's the truth, people. The addiction or the laziness or the bitterness or the lust or the anger or any resentment and all that other stuff, every other sin that you're currently dealing with is not the core issue, whether you believe it or not. So if you get treatment for those things, yeah, it might work for a little while. It might distract you for a little while, and you may think that you've gone over it, but your roots are still in, and it's still firmly planted, which is why we need a treatment, not of the things that we're doing, but the treatment of our hearts. And so, brothers and sisters, that is what Christ has come to do. He has come to destroy the chains of sin in our lives so that we can freely and under the grace and mercy of God come before him with genuine repentance, ask God to change us, trust that God will change us, ask God to restore us, and trust that he will restore us, ask God to transform us because he will transform us. We must go to him trusting that our sins were nailed to the cross, that Jesus carried, that Jesus was nailed to, and that Jesus died on. He paid our debt, and now in faith, trusting in the completed work of Christ, you see, I was able that day to cry out to my Lord and Savior as one who was already forgiven. And I said, Lord, I'm already yours. Work in me. You see, real Christianity, and I end with this, it seems is not simply a life that's filled with blessings. So I don't know what your personal expectations are for your spiritual life. You see, your, your, your Christian life here is not one where you think should follow the typical equation for success and happiness the way that you see it through Facebook. Graduate from college, get a job, 
Find that significant other. Get married. Have kids. Grow old. Have grandchildren. So on and so on. That's not Christian life. Do you know that? Anything that remotely feels and seems and has displays happiness or goodness in your life is by the grace of God. It's not something we are owed. It is not a natural thing. Quite frankly, it's quite unnatural. It's supernatural. Like I said, we live in a broken world. What we should expect is brokenness. But this is what the Christian life is, people. It's a life that has lived for holiness. It's a life that seeks after God's will and is willing to pull out the roots of our sins with the help of the church, through prayer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for conviction, and with and standing upon the assurance of Christ's death and resurrection. The Lord God will move in you, and he will bring you back to him. When you, are, when you pray because you're struggling with something, know that God wants to do more than simply alleviate your current struggles. He wants you in on his divine plan. It's just a matter of asking the right question. Amen? Let's pray. What have you been asking for all these years like I had? Are you asking the right question? I just want to offer up a small prayer and I want you guys to go ahead and just pray and meditate on the word that you just heard and then we'll go into our concluding song. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. For your amazing, generous love, truly it is your kindness that has led me to repent that day. It was the talking of the Holy Spirit who illuminated and exposed the very sin that I thought that I had swept under that rug so, so long ago. And it was painful. Lord, it truly was, just as the refining fire will always be. But at the end of that crucible, God, you have transformed me and created me something different, something new. And I thank you, Lord, that you would do that and take the time and spend your love and your graciousness upon a sinner like myself who has clearly taken you for granted in so many ways. And as many times as I have turned my back on you, God, you have constantly, constantly sought after me. What amazing love. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, just as you had so many years ago stirred in my heart to prompt that question, that question that would lead to my freedom, that you would also prompt and stir in the hearts of our fellow brothers and sisters and friends in me in this very room. 
We know, Lord, only in you is our freedom. Only in you, Christ Jesus, is our salvation. Humble us today, Lord. I thank you. Your son's name. Let's take a moment before the song. Just take a minute or two. And pray to God, but ask the right question. I want to I challenge you with that. Let's pray.